but I'm massive on fasting. It's mm-hmm. been a real game changer for me. I don't eat anything solid. I just drink tea um, before um, about midday, usually. Often later, depending on what's going on in my life. Um, that's been huge. I've, that's really helped me. Um, after years of making myself eat breakfast because that was the thing to do, you know, best, best meal of the day. <laughs> the meal of the day. Um, yeah, all through my life. Now that I don't feel that, I never, I've never really wanted to eat breakfast, and now I feel like I don't have to. It's made a huge, huge change mm. in my energy and my ability to avoid all those cravings that, that go on. This is the Peaks Audio Experience. Hi, and welcome back to The Peaks Life with myself, Lynn Fernie, and Mike Warren. And today we're joined by special guest, Sarah Nichols. Sarah, welcome to The Peaks Life. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a massive fan. I've been following you since the beginning, so it's really awesome that you've asked me to come on, and I can't wait to have a little chat. (laughs) Great. (laughs) And for people who are listening right now and, and watching and tuning in, just want to say stick with us, because you might find that, you know, this topic is a bit left of field, but... Sarah's got some really fascinating insights in the keto world and lots of valuable information. So let's dive straight in. Sarah, do you just want to tell us a bit about yourself, um, you know, help the, the people tuning in understand a bit about you and, and how you've got to this point? Okay, so um, I was born in a small village in England called Hildenborough. I was actually born at home myself, which is quite relevant to this conversation. Um, um, back in, the, in Hildenborough in the late 60s, it was routine for women to have their first baby in hospital, and as long as they managed to squeeze it out of their appropriate orifice, then all subsequent babies were also were then born at home. And um, uh, Mike, you yourself were the same. You were born at home. Yes, I was. And... Um, have the appropriate orifice on my head. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> According to witness statements on the day. <laughs> and I just think it's interesting to reflect back on, on those times where my parents grew all their vegetables in the garden and they would go to their local greengrocers and um, buy their weekly meat from the butcher who could tell you the name of the cow that the sausage etc. came from. Um, yeah, we, my parents didn't have a car until I was about 10, 11 years old. So we walked a lot every day, involved movement and exercise. There was, you know, anywhere that we went involved movement of the body. And um, that was my upbringing. Um, I'm talking about this now because I feel almost like we've come a full circle. We're kind of like heading back into that direction now. <laughs> mm, you know? I'm now buying all my groceries from the farmer's market and, you know, the pillars of, wellness that we talk about every week here on the peaks life mm. is um you know focused again about eating well moving etc but i digress sorry so yes born in hildenborough the youngest of three children um lived a very normal average life until about oh, 35 i'd had three children um loved being a mother and um just almost like this weird tap on the shoulder it's the best way i can describe it i know it's weird and hippie but i just had this feeling that i had to become a midwife 
It was like my vocation in life. There's no sense, you know, no one chooses to be a big wife because they want to be rich or because they want to be comfortable. It's just something that comes to you and you literally have no choice. Mm -hmm. So I, um, with three young children who were all at school at this point, I went back to studying, went to university. I did three A-levels in one year because that's how keen I was. Um, Went to university and um, became a midwife. So the place where I trained in Kent, Tunbridge Wells and Maidstone District Hospital, they had been a water birth centre for many years. Back in 1980s, um, this very famous obstetrician, Michelle O'Dont, um, introduced the option of birthing in water. He had a very holistic birth centre over in France. And um, he, they recorded a programme, which was just on the local news, about how he had noticed that women, as soon as you put them into a bath when they were in labour, they instantly relaxed. And uh, often the babies were born very easily um, very shortly afterwards. So lots of the women in our local area in Tombridge and Tombridge Wells started to explore this birthing option. So when I trained 25 years later, um, within my hospital where I was a student, water birth was normal, it was nothing unusual. Everyone, you know, if, if someone was struggling in the first stage of labour, you just hear someone out, can you fill the bath? And that's what we do. <laughs> popped them all into the bath and um, that would help. It just makes you relax. Pregnancy and birth are all about relaxation. It's all about allowing your hormones to work. So um, rolling forward a few years, I emigrated to Australia with my family and um, started working locally in a maternity hospital down in Fremantle, down here. And at that point, when I arrived, I was told, oh, no, water birth is illegal in WA. And I was like, what? Am I going to prison? <laughs> but um, what that actually meant, there was no policies to support it at that point. There was a massive demand. Um, I'd had several accidental water births in my first couple of months working here and had to fill in big piles of paper and risk forms as a result. But, um, you know, I think they... Within maybe six months of my starting, they decided that um, they really wanted to offer this option for women. So I got involved in um, the working party to introduce water birth to the women for WA. And um, rolling on from that, I um, my role within the party was to try and make midwives feel comfortable with facilitating this option. So many of them, it was just considered weird, wacky, candles and sandals. Why would you want to birth in water? We don't have fins, you know, we just, that's not what humans do. Um, they didn't really understand the benefits of it. And there was a lot of back, you know, change is a very difficult thing for a lot of people. Mm. So my job became to try and facilitate the midwives to become confident to facilitate water birth, which is, um, ended up becoming my master's thesis. Mm. So after um, maybe two or three years of interviewing women, I actually produced a master's thesis examining how to make people feel confident delivering women, offering the option to birth in water, how to make midwives feel happy to do that, Um, which rolled on. I presented at the International Congress for Midwives in Prague um, at the end of, I think it was 2014. 
and um, my research has been published in a peer review, the leading peer review mid midwife journal in um, the world. And um, I've gone on to continue enjoying, uh, you know, I've had a big leap into research, but after that massive leap, I've actually pulled back because my love, my heart, my soul is in clinical midwifery. So I've actually moved from back into a clinical role. I'm now actually working for a publicly funded home birth service. So every month I get allocated three beautiful women who want to have a natural normal birth. And my role is to support them on their journey, whatever that looks like. They can choose to birth at home at one of our amazing birth centres here in WA, or if they prefer, they can have my support in their local hospital. So I'm blessed to have such a beautiful job, um, which I love doing. Hmm. That's a very cool story, um, Sarah. So, <laughs> a, few, a few questions, because I, I think there's some really interesting things that, that you said. And the first one was, was around the benefits of the water birth. So just run back through that for us. So if, you know, if, if um, somebody's looking at, you know, the, the birth options. Yeah. And, you know, and you were talking to them, what sort of things would, would you be saying to them? What are the benefits that they would experience um, during that birthing process? There's so many from so many different angles. As I mentioned, relax, relaxation is key. Having a baby naturally, you can relax and you, all your um, receptors that your adrenaline and your cortisol work on are the same receptors that your pregnancy hormones, the oxytocin that helps you to labour, they're all on the same plane. So if we can make you relax, then your oxytocin works well. Um, when you put someone into water and they've been labouring for a few hours, you can literally see the relief on their face. It's like, ah, it's just so relaxing for them. It's warm, helps everything to stretch out. You've got the buoyancy of the water, which helps you to be able to move beautifully around into different positions as your body dictates. Mm -hmm. If you're in a pool, this is really interesting, particularly in a hospital situation. If someone's in water within a hospital, so socially it's unacceptable to enter a room when someone's in the bath. Okay. If you're in lithotomy in a birth room with everything hanging out, the doctors will happily walk through backwards and forwards. But if you're in a pool, they will not politely and they'll wait. So your privacy is much better, better protected mm. when you're sitting in a pool. Um, and when the baby's born, this is really interesting because the baby is in water within, inside you already. So you've got this amniotic fluid surrounding the baby. So the baby is moving from a water situation through more water and then out rather than when you birth the head comes straight out into the cold so you've been in a nice warm 36 degree bath for nine months when your head hits that air massive shock for the baby it's a bit like being woken up by a, an alarm clock whereas if you pass gently through the water into more water and then up gently into your mother's arms just your head is above the water it's like being woken up by a cup of tea and your mum in the morning rather than the alarm clock. It's just watch them sort of gently come to life. Often they don't cry. There's none of that screaming. They're still attached by the cord to their mother for as long as possible. Really gentle transition into life. Often a much, much happier baby that will breastfeed well and will just, you know, gently transition into a beautiful life. Hmm. Amazing. And it, um, Sarah, what's the background um, to water birthing? Is there, 
you know, is there something to say that this is, this is a practice that has been adopted through the ages or is it a more modern practice? Well, um, there's, there's stories from the past from um, Aboriginal people who, who will go to the lake to birth their baby, you know, it's the old Aboriginal tradition. The, the, the women of the tribe would just take them to the lake when it was time for them to birth. And um, back in New Zealand as well, there's a big history of water birthing in New Zealand. Back in our home, home over in the European states, really it's from recorded from the 1920s, really the advent of modern plumbing, because it's a bit chilly over there most of the time, <laughs> isn't it? So modern plumbing and water, that's kind of where water birth was born over in Europe. But it's huge. It's massive over there now. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, you know, if I think back to, you know, my childhood in, in the UK and especially in the, the northeast of the UK where it, it's definitely a bit chilly. Um, you know, I can imagine yes. some of the, <laughs> the bodies wouldn't be very pleasant to be, uh, to be born into. But um, I can certainly see how, you know, it's, mm. it's taken off there because I think, the, you know, the adoption of some of these ancestral type of techniques has become really big um, in the last sort of 30 to 40 years. So it's awesome to yeah. see. It all kind of, yeah, it sort of loops back to the whole, um, we seem to have, the last couple of generations, things have changed, but now we're all recognising that actually that was the better way to do it, you know. The home birth, home birth and low-risk births are actually as safe as hospital births. So there's a big swing almost back to two generations where we grew our own veggies and we knew what we were eating and um, plant-based diets, you know, bee jams and Icelands need to go back to where they came from because um, processed food has been shown not to be good for us. And the same with birth. When you're born, as you pass through your birth passage out into the world, you pick up all the microbiome, which will be seeding your immune system for the rest of your life. So by bypassing the vaginal pathway, there's all sorts of emerging evidence about how that puts you at an increased risk of um, autoimmune diseases, obesity, mm. allergies for the rest of your life. You know, it's such a huge topic that's emerging. It's a massive topic, isn't it? And, you know, you've been reading a lot about that recently, how, you know, um, children and, and even adults now who were born by by c-section by cesarean section which is which became very trendy for a while to pick you know your, your, your birth date and um, book yourself in for the c-section it all sounds great but that's so clinical and sterile that as you said babies are not getting their you know their, their dose of uh, you know Im- immunity um, that we would traditionally have got yeah. And it's, it's your immunity is passed from generation to generation. So it's like I have the same microbiome as my mother and my grandmother and my daughter has the same microbiome as I do. And that's something that you can't recreate. Well, that's it. And again, it's really interesting when, when you look at the microbiome, you look at the gut, you look at, you know, again, we've got that trend. We've had the sterile births. We have antibiotics. And all of these things yeah. are wonderful because they can be life-saving. I mean, somebody who's having really? a little birth, the C-section is life-saving. Um, you know, no. the, the antibiotics can be absolutely life-saving. But, in, you know, when they're used in the wrong way or um, to, ex- you know, to excess, then they're just wiping out what we now understand to be a really critical part of, of our health, which is that gut microbiome. 
So I think it's, I think it's something that we, we still don't know enough about. And, you know, I think in the next 10 to 20 years, we'll start to, to realise just how important it is. And hopefully people will start to adopt more and more of these, um, let's say, traditional practices. Because if we can take the mixture of the traditional, what's good from traditional, and our modern technology and put them together, you know, we've got the best chance to live long, healthy lives um, than any previous generation that's gone before us. I'm sure if I can, if I can wave the dead flag, I'm sure, um, and I don't know, but I'm sure that a water birth experience for the dead, seeing their partner much more relaxed, much more comfortable in a much more you know, natural environment, not sterile, surrounded by drugs and the clinical side of the birth, mm. must be a much more enjoyable experience for the dad and they can feel part of it rather than feeling like they're not medical so they have to step away. Absolutely, Mike. Yeah. And um, within our, our role, you know, I've delivered so many babies, but each father only really gets to deliver one or two. So we're really keen on the dads actually receiving the babies themselves and being like so immersed in the experience that, you know, that they will always remember it as a really, really special day. Mm, and it is a super special day. So that gives me a really nice segue as well onto, I wanted to ask your opinion, Sarah, about some of the trends that you're seeing. So if you, if you think about, you know, the last perhaps three to, to five years and think about the health of the mums that, that you're, or the mums-to-be that, that you're dealing with, what sort of health trends are you seeing? Are you seeing more pre-gestational diabetes? Are you, are you seeing, you know, more obesity? What, what's happening in that space? Yeah, we definitely are. As a nation, there's a lot more obesity in um, pregnancy. Lots and lots more um, assisted conceptions, lots of IVF and people with fertility issues as well. Um, we have some, I've had, I have looked after some ladies who have been living a keto lifestyle for sure. Um, and as far as pregnancy is concerned, much like exercise and eating, you know, if you've managed to conceive naturally and you're um, living a lifestyle, then that's the lifestyle for you. That's fine to continue on that lifestyle. Um, we've had a few issues with routine testing and the keto lifestyle. Um, when you're pregnant, when you get to around 28 weeks gestation, we routinely offer you something called a glucose tolerance test. I'm sure you guys are familiar with that term. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like a diabetic screening test. Some people suffer with diabetes just because they're pregnant. Mm. Something that's, that's transient, it comes once the baby's born, it goes. And one of the ways that they test for this is by offering a glucose tolerance test, which is almost like asking someone who's on a keto lifestyle to drink a good... 75 grams of sugar it would be awful for you wouldn't it imagine Absolutely. someone making you drink 75 grams of sugar it's a bit like someone who's lactose intolerant being made to drink a pint of fresh that cow's milk you know it was it's just um it's it's not okay um but it has restricted people's birth choices in the past certain of the birth centers require this glucose tolerance test as a um, as part of their inclusion criteria. So um, we've had a few issues with that. You can actually birth at home mm -hmm. without having had this test, but, but it is still part of the 
policy and procedures for um, the birth centres. But we're working really hard, midwives are working really hard and asking the doctors to look at other options. Mm-hmm. Just recently, one of my clients who's um, living a keto lifestyle, she um, didn't want to do that. So she did a fasting blood test. She was very happy to do that. And she also had did an HB1AC, which is um, like a long-term look at what your blood sugar levels are like. And we did manage to get her through the gate with those two tests. <laughs> it's good. I mean... I think, think things are changing, aren't they? I mean, I, you know, what, what we see at the moment is that we're seeing more low-carb doctors coming along. We're seeing more um, GPs who are prepared to use diet um, rather than drugs um, for diabetes. Um, I think we're seeing, you know, a bigger percentage of the population who are starting to become educated and realise that low-carb um, or keto type of diets are potentially you know, healthier than all of the, the processed carbohydrates that they've been, they've been having. So, you know, hopefully that's all going to catch up and um, people will realise that there's a bit of, bit of madness going on there, forcing somebody to drink a sugar solution in order to, yeah. to check whether they're suitable to um, a birthing centre. I think, you yeah. know, it is interesting. What, what's your opinion, Sarah, on the keto diet in, in pregnancy? You mentioned there if somebody's been on keto already, um, then it, it should be safe for them to continue because their body's conditioned to it, right? Yeah, and they are, and um, they've managed to conceive with that lifestyle. Um, I've off, I have actually found that some women, their bodies take over. Your earth suit will take over when you're pregnant, and whatever you think in your mind is often not the thing that comes up first. So a few yeah. of my keto lifestyle people have actually come in and said, nah, I'm sorry, I'm, I have been eating carbs. My body has been craving um, certain foods and, you know, that's what they need to. Often it's fruit rather than the starchy grains, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, your body's very good at telling you what it needs when you're pregnant. And, um, yeah, women who are living a, a lifestyle that's based around wellness tend to be very good at listening to what their body's requirements are. I think that's really an interesting point Sarah that we find with you know the people that we work with one of the biggest aspects we talk to people about is is tuning in and listening to your body because it it's really good at telling you as you said and I think our signals our natural signals get very confused when when they're bombarded by sugar all the time once you've cut sugar out people then start to tap in they start to listen to their bodies and their intelligence they're able to understand you know I'm craving chocolate. Okay, that's magnesium. Um, I'm craving something salty. Yeah, I'm lacking in sodium. Um, I've got a bit of a, a water balance issue. It may be potassium. So people are starting to to get that level of you know of understanding of what the the cravings mean. Um, and I think that it's fascinating because you know you would know better than anybody that when you're pregnant, you basically have this massive insight into your into your health because it's all amplified during pregnancy Um, and so I guess one of the the pieces of advice to people is to listen to the body as you just said you know what are the cravings don't don't be you know regimented if you're on keto great you've done really well you've you've done the right thing for your body but if your body's craving there's probably a biological or a chemical reason for it and you need to listen to that yeah I couldn't agree more that's 
basically. It's interesting when you have got gestational diabetes, the diet that the doctors put you on is a very low carb diet. So, you know, there's a lot of recognition that um, that is actually what is good for you. It's, it's very controlled in the carb department. Um, you know, the, the, the lifestyle that it is enforced on people with gestational diabetes. Yeah. You know, if someone's eating that way anyway, then it can only be doing you good. That's it. And um, I think it's interesting what, what you said there as well, Sarah, that often when people are craving, it's that if they're craving carbs in pregnancy, they may be going more for the, the fruits. Because again, if yeah. we think back into the ancestry, um, what would we have found? We'd have probably found some fruits or maybe some honey or something like that. It wouldn't have yeah. been the starchy foods because they, they have to be cooked. Um, yeah. So, you know, way back, 100,000, 200,000 years ago, um, they wouldn't have had that ability. So they'd have gone for the things that are easier to eat, like the berries that they might have gathered um, by the wayside. I think it's quite fascinating how, um, from a guy, doing the, doing the guy perspective again, how many guys like myself never thought about or could analyse my tolerance to different foods before keto. We've recently taken a bunch of guys through a challenge and not only have they got great results, but their sensitivity and their understanding mm. as they've transitioned from probably a carb-heavy diet to keto, their understanding of the impact of different foods on their body is really quite outstanding for guys to say, I ate this and felt this way. Mm. I tried this, but it didn't agree with me, whereas generally guys just tend to hoe into food mm. and we don't think about how each piece of food affects our body. So there's this, there's this real cleanness about keto where the sugar's gone, the carbs are gone, and you actually can tap into the intolerances that each of the foods has on your body, which is really quite, yeah, quite interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I'm going to segue us into another, um, another area now, Sarah. So um, we've talked a lot about the birthing and the water births and, and pregnancy, but what about your own health and, and wellness, Sarah? Have you got special routines or things that you regularly do to to make sure that you stay healthy, well and grounded? Yes, yeah. Working within, uh, I'm on call 24-7. Um, life balance is so important for me to be able to do the job. We have to put our own oxygen masks on first, mm. really work hard at um, yeah, our own resilience and um, self-care is huge. Um, I myself, I've been on a bit of a journey, you know, it's probably started maybe two years ago. I did a 28-day um, detox two years ago, mainly to lose weight, I'll be honest. Um, but it was it was the sort of detox where if you went to see a naturopath, this is what they do. It was basically, I cut out dairy, I cut out gluten, alcohol, and sugar. Mm -hmm. And 20, with probably about two weeks into it, yes, I'd lost lots of weight, but I couldn't believe how well I felt. My uh, reflux that I'd been suffering with for years beforehand, completely gone. Um, I have Hashimoto's and um, thyroid, was on thyroxine for Hashimoto's and actually had to reduce my dose of thyroxine. Um, all the aches and pains that I just thought were me getting older diminished and started to um, go away. So yeah, from that point onwards, really started looking at wellness and movement and appreciating the pillars that we talk about, um, how, how, it, how important it is to eat well. Um, I personally don't do a complete ketogenic lifestyle. My 
I'm mainly plant-based. I don't have a gallbladder anymore, which I had removed about nine years ago. Probably not necessarily, because um, after I had it removed, the symptoms that I had were still there. So um, I think the symptoms that I was feeling, the sort of tightness in the back of my, between my shoulder blades, was actually more related to stress than it was to actually my gallbladder. But as a result of that, I don't eat fats very well. Um, so I don't do the whole keto thing, but I'm massive on fasting. It's mm -hmm. been a real game changer for me. I don't eat anything solid. I just drink tea um, before um, about midday, usually. Often later, depending on what's going on in my life. Um, that's been huge. I've, that's really helped me. Um, after years of making myself eat breakfast because that was the thing to do, you know, best, best meal of the day. <laughs> the meal of the day. Yeah, all through my life. Now that I don't feel that, I never, I've never really wanted to eat breakfast, and now I feel like I don't have to. It's made a huge, huge change mm. in my energy levels and my ability to avoid all those cravings that, that go on. Um, I'm big on movement. I do, I have a dog, so we walk the dog 30, 40 minutes every day. Um, I tend to try and get little snips of activity into my day. So I'm visiting people at home or in clinics. I tend to park maybe three, 400 yards away from the house that I'm visiting. So I'm walking to the house and back from the house. Um, if I go to Coles, I'll park at the back of the car park rather than the closest spot. So I really find incorporating exercise into what I'm doing mm. is fantastic. I love Pilates. I love yoga. Trying to do a bit more strength and cardio. I just haven't found my quite found my thing yet in those departments, but I'm still working. It's, it's a work in progress. It's a lifelong journey. It's a, we we always say it's a long game. <laughs> so you talked there, Sarah, about you know diet, finding out what's what's worked for you, cutting out a lot of those inflammatory foods. You talked about the movement and trying to get movement in throughout each day as well as organised sessions. But what about sleep? You said that you're on call twenty four seven. You can't get the babies yeah. to, to just wait for a few hours. Like just seven and a half hours. Um, so you, you must end up having you know, dysregulated sleep and interrupted sleep from time to time. What, what do you do you know, to either make up or to, to minimise the effect of that, I guess? Yeah, sleep is such an important thing. Um, I, for many years, I worked in the hospital and was doing like shift rotation. So you do early shifts, late shifts, night shifts, sort of rotating around. And um, you always knew the midwives that did permanent night shifts. There was something not quite right about them. They, you know, the whole being up all night thing catches up with you in the end. Your circadian rhythms don't do that naturally. Um, so bad for your health. So, mm -hmm. so bad for your health. And you feel it. You feel it. If you've had a... Um, a run of nights you feel like you've got the biggest hangover in the world and it literally takes you 48 hours to get back into your normal life act activities um yeah it's massive um yeah uh, it's a little bit easier it's better and not better from where i am at the moment because like you say i'm on call 24 7 so i could go to bed and get called at three o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. and um you know it's always a joy because it's someone's having a baby and it's usually someone that i know well so it's you know it's always great to be getting up and leaving the house exciting to go and 
be with them in that period. So the actual working bit is fine. It's the recovery bit that um, takes its toll. Um, yeah, what do we do? I can work, I'm allowed to work 18 hours in 24, um, as long as we've had a break of 12 hours. So it's quite an extended period of time that most people wouldn't be asked to function within. We, we have lots of training in it. We do have sleep experts come to work and chat to us. Apparently green apples are very good for keeping you awake. Did you know that? So that's to keep, keep you awake or it's to help you sleep? No, it's to help to keep you. If you're driving home after a long like home birth, they tell you to take a green apple. There's certain hormones in the green apple or some sort of pectins that are supposed to keep you um, awake and get you home. Yeah, just um, we're very kind to each other. Um, if I know one of my colleagues has had a really big night out, some of us sleep better during the not the day than others. So I've got particular colleague who really struggles to sleep during the day so we will try and you know give her as much darkness sleeping as possible um yeah there's there's no um easy fix it is hard it is hard and mm. i have to say that when i'm not being called to birth you know i look after three women a month so tops three full nights working a month the rest of the time i sleep like a baby and i prioritize <laughs> sleep my my Garmin tells me I'm doing an average of nine hours a night. So <laughs> that's not bad. And I, I guess that's, 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 bad. that's not bad at all. We'll just replay that nine hours a night. That's pretty darn good, right? But I think um, you know that's it's actually a really important point, Sarah. Is that you know you know that you're going to have disrupted sleep every now and then maximum yeah. three four nights a month so what you're doing is you're making sure you get really good quality sleep and plenty of it um you know, for the rest of the month and what that allows your body to do is to tolerate the occasional night where you don't get such good sleep but you've taught it to sleep you've taught it look i'm going to go to bed i'm going to get a good night's sleep nine hours every night so when you well, you know if you have a disrupted night it's easier to get back into the routine the body's got the cue it's got the consistency and i think yeah, um, I, as you said a lot of people looking shifts it's a real killer for them it affects their health and so whatever you can do to yeah. to get the best sleep you can the you know making sure the room's dark and cool and you know you're not being not you know disturbed by noise and all those things all the good sort of hacks that you can do to ensure you get good sleep on the nights when you can get good sleep becomes really important yeah, and you do track it when you when you know that it's a priority, and yeah, it becomes a bit you bit get a bit obsessed with it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to go back to sleep. I've only had three hours. You know, it's, it does. Yeah, you do feel like you need to work to be in sleep credit rather than debit. Yeah, yeah. great great way to look at it, right? You know, try and get into sleep credit so that if you mm -hmm. you need to sort of take that few hours, you can tolerate it. So. Some really interesting, you know, we've been off on, on all sorts of different paths there, <laughs> there you know, from um, what life was like back in the, the UK, which, you know, I, I identify with because I, you know, I grew up in the UK in a, in a fairly um, poor area. Uh, we didn't have a lot and, you know, we didn't have cars and we didn't have heating in our house, actually. So it was minus 10 quite often where I was in, in the UK. Um, we didn't have indoor heating. We didn't even have an indoor toilet. Uh, we had to walk everywhere <laughs> with vegetables. 
Um, we literally, you know, we, we went everywhere by foot. And I think we were really healthy as kids and as teenagers and as, and as young adults. And when I go back to that part of the UK now, it really horrifies me to see how unwell people are, how unhealthy they are, um, and, you know, how things have changed so dramatically. So I think, you know, from everything from your background in the UK through to the inspiration to become a midwife and then specialising in the, the water birth through to diet, lifestyle and making sure you get lots of sleep. I think there's some amazing tips for anybody who's, who's tuning in, um, whether you're female, whether you're pregnant, there's just some really great information there. So I really want to thank you for coming on to The Peaks Life. And uh, we've learned a lot. I have learned that green apples are going to keep me awake <laughs> if I drive home safely, so I like it. <laughs> yeah, Sarah, thank you for your time. It's been great to find sort of... I guess the we know you obviously, but find what you do and your insights and your passion for wellness has really been quite amazing to see what you feel about wellness and the endorsement you give what we do and the pillars of wellness. It's been exciting to learn what you do, but also see and hear your passion come through the podcast. That's been great. Thank you. Thanks again, Sarah. We loved having you on the uh, on the Peaks Life, and we hope that one day you'll come and join us again. Oh, absolutely. Thank you guys for all your hard work and for the information you make freely available to everyone. You're awesome. Hey guys, thanks for joining us on the Peaks Audio Experience. Make sure you've subscribed and please share the podcast. And more importantly, don't forget to tell all your friends it's awesome, it's amazing and inspiring. And send us your hot topics to cover on a future episode. For now, have a great Peaks Day. (laughs) 